0: I'll run into people in new community at different parties and stuff and they'll be like, hey you're that lady that sings. Or like, oh hey, you're the lady that preaches. Or hey, you're the lady and so um, if you don't know me, I'm the lady that sings. And the lady that preaches, and I'm one of our church's missionaries. Uh, My name is Sandra Van Opstel, and I am uh, the director of the Chicago Urban Program. Um, So I work with InterVarsity bringing students into the city, and I just want to say welcome to new community. For those of you that are here for the first time or are new to me for the first time, but if you don't know me, I'm going to share something with you up front so that we can travel through the sermon together well. I am an emotional person. If you didn't already get that from the beginning of my, uh, you know, my, I am an emotional person, I love emotions. And during the week, I think I experienced about 100 to 200 different kinds of emotions. Um, I come from a family and from a culture that embraces emotional, expressive people. So this was just fan for me. You know, like, yes, have those emotions. Cry, girl, you need to cry. Sometimes all you can do is cry, you know. So I love emotions. And I have a slide that I would like to show you a, a few of the emotions that I went through this week. There they are. There they are yeah, it's um, the smiley face feeling guy. You've probably seen this on Facebook. You, You have so many emotions. I mean, you could be distressed. You could be disturbed. You could be joyful. You could be, and I know some of you, like I said a few weeks ago, only have three emotions. Or you think you only have three. Happy. Sad. And angry. If you're one of those happy, sad, or angry, three emotions, people, raise your hands. I want to know who you are. Yeah, okay, so a few of you. Happy, sad, and angry. So some of us have just, we think we have just three emotions or we put them into those three different categories. So we take my chart and just make three lines and stick them all under those happy, sad, and angry. Well, regardless of uh, how emotional you may feel um, or how you categorize your emotions, God has made us to be an emotional group of people. He has given us emotions as part of our human experience. Now, I think that's a good thing. I think that God, you know, is blessed by our emotions sometimes. Now, I know if I were the Lord, I'm just, I mean, I'm not, but if I were the Lord, I would be uh, a little bit regretful that I gave someone like me the ability to emote. Because as long as I was like happy or joyful, or satisfied, or content, it would be like, cool, Sandra, good. But instead, you know, sometimes I'm distressed, and frustrated, and upset, and angry, and complaining. And so, if I was the Lord, I would be like, enough, please, only come into my presence when you're happy. The other three can stay away. But he doesn't. He allows us to come into his presence exactly how we are. And so, that is the joy for us as humans and as, as his children to be able to come to him no matter where we're at, no matter what we're feeling on that list of emotions, and that God accepts us where we're at. Not only is that a truth because uh, we see it in the scriptures, you know, said, but we also see it displayed in the fact that we have a book of songs in the Bible, 150 of them that express Tons of different kinds of emotions that people had. They didn't only write songs when they're like, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm so happy, you know. They wrote they wrote these songs and these prayers and these praises when they were in the midst of despair. And so we have this book of 150 songs. This sermon series is called Songs. And we're taking time to go through the, through the book of Psalms, which is a, a book of prayers and praises based on people's real life experiences. Did you guys know that? These were real people that had real issues that came to God just as they were. They didn't hide from their issues, they didn't hide from life, they went right into it. And this book shows us what people went through, their honest responses, praise God, honest responses to God and his ways and the way that he does things, embracing both the negative and the positive things that we go through. There are two important theological beliefs that I think are captured in the Psalms. There are tons of them, but two really key ones. The first one is faith, the idea of faith. That believers, we can be battered, we can be perplexed, we can be kind of pushed down. But in the midst of all of that, we can still trust God. And we find that in the Psalms, that um, people actually prove their faith by coming to God with their questions and their doubts and their distress. That's how they prove their faith. Um, The other one is obedience. Believers who face trials, although puzzled and confused and distressed and dismayed, they obey. And I don't know if you find that, if you found that in the Psalms as you read them, but not only do they have faith, but they obey. So they don't always understand when they act. Sometimes they just obey, and the understanding comes afterwards. And so the, the ideas of faith and obedience are found in the Psalms. The collection of, of songs or prayers or praises that are in the Psalms are tons of different kinds. We have Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of uh, confidence where people say, I know who God is. There are uh, wisdom psalms. There are laments. Do you guys know what laments are? They're complaining. Yeah, this is the complainers, right? So they have these people that are grieved and they come before God and they, they lament and they grieve at themselves. We find lots of psalms like that. They grieve at other people's like, my enemies or the wicked or those people over there. Why am I going through this? That's the, the lament, Right? And they're also complaining to God, like, where are you, Lord? And so they are complaining. Now, I told you guys I had lots of emotions. And some of you may always see me when I'm smiling. And some of you may always see me when I'm laughing. But then those of you that really know me know that I love to complain. I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm like, oh God, you know, why is this happening? Or, oh, why is this happening here? Why can't we do it like this? Why, you know? And so the lament, I really personally connect with. And so that is why I'm sharing this psalm with you today. The psalm that we're going to study comes from the third book of psalms. They're um, sectioned in the three books. And the third book of psalms starts with this psalm, and it is a lament. It's a grief. It's a complaint. And what I love about this psalm is that it is written by a worship leader, a religious leader in the congregation of the Lord who is complaining and lamenting about what is happening. And he is honest, and he is raw. So, will you turn to me to the psalm that we're reading today, which is Psalm 73. Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. This is what the wicked, or they say, how can God know? Does the most high have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, in vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed. How completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, you destroy all who are unfaithful to you, but as for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of your deeds. Psalm 73 shows us that when truth and experience are in conflict, we should turn to God and to community to remind us of God's goodness. And the psalmist shows us this by revealing his problem, his crisis, and his resolution. And so we travel and journey with him and what it means to turn to God in community to remind us of God's goodness. Here's his problem. Verse 1, he starts off pretty good. I'll give him that much credit. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he starts off, God is good. He starts well. He starts with a statement of confidence. And what we see as we walk through the psalms is that he's obviously processed this. It's not like he wrote the psalm like in the middle of the cave. Or, I mean, he's gone through it and he's been able to reflect back and say, surely God is good. So he starts off well, but then he exposes his problem to us in verses 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He almost fell because he saw the prosperity of the wicked, the passage says. He envied what he saw. He looked around, and what he saw made him troubled. What he saw gave him some conflict between what he knew about God, what he knew to be true, and what he was personally experiencing. And so he envied what he saw. You know... He, he wanted what they had. So if you look at the passage, you'll be able to see that he wanted their success, their, their success in their position. It's windy up there. He wanted their success in their position. He says in the psalm, they have no struggles. He wanted their health. Their bodies are healthy and strong. How many of you want a healthy and strong body? I do. So my Gosh, they look so good, God. They, 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 they're successful. They look good. They have everything. You know, He's saying, look at, look at them. They're free from burdens. have any of you ever felt like that? You're like, you're sitting at work, looking at your coworkers going to yourself, like, why am I struggling to figure out how to use my money to like bless the Lord and his kingdom when my coworkers clearly are just doing whatever they want? They're carefree. They don't have to. If they do, that's great. They're charitable and they are philanthropists, but they don't have to. And here I am struggling to figure out how I'm gonna pay my bills and how I'm gonna give to the building fund. And we look around like the psalmist and we see... They look like they have no problems. He envied what they had, but he also saw that they were arrogant. Clearly, he says, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence and they are insensitive to evil. From their callous hearts, he says, comes iniquity. And the problem that drove him to envy and nearly undid him was what he saw the untroubled, successful lives of the boastful wicked. I mean, after all, isn't blessing supposed to be for God's people, right? I mean, don't we think, isn't, it's supposed to come to me, Lord. I'm supposed to look good, have everything. I'm blessed, you know, in the city and in the fitness It's me. So why am I looking around and feeling like everybody's got theirs? So he struggled not only with what he saw, but he struggled with what he heard the passage says in verse, verses 8 through 12. He goes on. And this is what he heard. They scoff and speak with malice. and their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. And therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. He was troubled by what he heard. Because not only were these people successful, but they were also mocking God. Not only did they have everything that they think they needed, but then they went to them and said, Oh, look at you. Oh, you're God's blessed. Look at you all. You know, if God loves you and you're following him, why don't you look at least as good as we look? Why are you in the position you're in then? And so he says to God, see, God, they're bad and they still succeed. What about me? Poor me. Not only do I not get what I want, but like, we we both look like fools. I mean, I'm not trying to be a hater, Lord, but we both look like fools right now. (laughs) (laughs) Have any of you ever said, I'm trying to be a hater, you know, praise them for their thing they have. but, But we both look like fools. I don't understand, God. I don't understand, this does not line up. He had a problem. I'm not going to ask you individually. Because we're we're not on that level of trust yet. But have any of you guys ever... I mean, you've never been envious of anyone around you, have you? Like, ever been a hater of people that have things that you don't want? Right. Uh, Well, I have, and so I'm going to share it with you. Um, I had lots of problems in high school following Jesus because I felt like everybody was having so much more fun than I was, and it seemed like they were so successful. And then I went to college, and I thought that would go away, but no, we all know it doesn't. Because not only... It wasn't like just all the great things they seemed to have, but even in classes, I felt like, God, I do my work, Lord, And I don't cheat, and I don't try to, like, get around the curve and do all those things. But these people are, like, not doing things that are right, and they're getting A's, and they're climbing. I would love to take a shortcut. Can I take a shortcut? (laughs) Because it seems like it's working for them. And in the midst of that, then came my real problem. So I'm going to share this to you. I'm going to be vulnerable today. Hopefully I won't cry too much. I was dating a guy. Um... For six years in high school and college And I, I mean we had so much Too much the speaker, sorry We had so much fun I mean he was good looking Everybody liked him You know he was the life of the party I liked him You know like it was a good relationship I thought it was excellent Except that everything in the relationship Was not pointing me towards the Lord And so When I was in college I was able to break up with him No, not really. By God's grace, he broke up with me. That's really how the story went, right? I was too weak. I was too weak. The Lord was strong in my weakness. So he broke up with me, but I saw it like I did it, right? So I was like, hallelujah, God, I love you. Look at me like I I did the right thing. I'm following in your path. I mean, surely at this point now you're going to bring me a man, right? So I was like, yay. I gave up the guy that wasn't, you know, like leading me to the Lord. Now the Lord is going to bring me a man, right? Junior year, no man. Senior year, no man after college ended, all of my six best friends, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, you know, 21 dresses. So I watched all my friends get married. I'm still single. You know, I was still single. Then I went into ministry and I thought, surely, Lord, I'm following you. Bring me a man. You know, like, still single. And then I saw my 20s come and I saw my 20s go. (laughs) still single, right? So um, saw those 20s go, saw those 20s. and I was like, I am 30. Here I am at 30, an old mate. What is the point of this, Lord? There is a problem. And so I looked around and I thought to myself, "Surely as God is good." To those that are pure at heart. But as for me, I've been punished. You know? As for me, I've been punished. so. Here's the question I have for you guys as we relate to the psalmist's problem. When have you been driven to envy at what you see around you? When have you been driven to envy at what you see around you? And in what area of your life are you tempted to lose faith when God doesn't show up how you expect Him to? In what area are you tempted to lose faith in God's goodness? Is it in your finances? Is it in your relationships? Is it with your family struggles? Is it with the job? In what place do you look around and think to yourself, oh, if I could just get mine? So the psalmist continues. I like him. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. And so he says, not surely the Lord is good, but surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure. He leads us from his problem to his crisis. He understands there's a problem, but now he's in crisis mode. His crisis is the one of self-pity in 13 and 14. In my heart, God, the psalmist says, and in my actions, both my heart and my actions, the passage says, I have kept my heart pure. So I've kept my heart pure, I've washed my hands in innocence, I have been following you. So of course it's totally natural for him to feel like it was in vain. There are times when I do things and I feel to myself that was totally in vain, God. Because it doesn't seem like things are going the way they should. There are times I am sure you can relate to me when you do things the right way. And you feel like surely God is going to bless you if you do things the right way. And there have been times when I have done the right thing and pursued peace in a relationship that was broken just to see it not reciprocated back to me and after that to see them move forward as if nothing was pro- nothing was wrong carefree in their wrong and i think to myself where are you where the heck are you that was hard i made a hard right decision to do what was right and here i am what's up god What's up? And of course, it's natural to feel like it's in vain. Of course, it's natural to feel like surely the Lord is good to Israel, but I've been punished and plagued every morning. In those times when we feel to ourselves like, okay, we just went through that, I did the right decision. Now they look good, and I look like a chump. That's what just happened. I did the right thing. I look like a chump. How did I end up here, God? So the psalmist has three responses. This is very interesting. Verses 15, verses 16, and verses 17 show us three responses that the psalmist could have. Number one, he could tell people and discourage them. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. His identity and his responsibility to God's people restrains him from just telling the whole community. Now, I have been in places where I have gone through something and all I want to do, and Pam knows this because I use her, and I just, you're like, I can't even believe God or this person. And I just lament, grief and lament on Pam, you know. And then I go to my brother Omar and I grief and lament on him. And so what does that do? That merely just brings people down. Because I'm not processing, I'm just feeling free to express my... 37 emotions on them that one day so he could tell people but he says he says in the psalm if I will speak thus I would have betrayed your children he knew because he was a worship leader because he was a leader in the temple that he couldn't simply just go griping to everybody about what was happening he couldn't do that so he did the next best thing that I think a lot of us can relate to when I tried to understand all this it was oppressive to me the second option, aside from telling people, is just thinking really hard. It's like when we like get home and we're like, oh, God, tell me what just happened. It's like, Ugh, you know, um, and you're just thinking so hard. Raise your, I know you guys are thinkers and you raise your hands. You're thinking your problems. Uh, I know some of you, I'm going to come to you and raise your hand for you. Raise your, you go through a struggle with the Lord. You don't know what's happening. And so you think about it and you talk about it and you think about it and you think about it. Well, I want you to know that it's not possible to find the truth of faith in your independent work of intellect. I know you guys are smart. I know you come here with your college education, your master's degree, and some of you as doctors. But there is no way for us to get into the mind of God and think hard enough about the things that he has for us. We got small brains. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, you got a small brain. And and now I want you to... And you guys are laughing because you know... And I want you to turn now... To your other neighbor, so you have practice saying this for later, you got a small brain. You got a small brain. You got a small brain. brain. (laughs) I love you guys, but I have to admit that we have small brains. I have seen people think their way um, to crazy things with the Lord. So his mind was overwhelmed. He couldn't understand it. And you know, he was a religious person, so he should have understood. Like he probably knew all the prayers, could recite them and pray them and lead them for the congregation. He, sh- he should have, of all people, he should have been able to dig deep, deep down and know the truth of God in that. But he could not figure it out. He felt oppressed, it says. Um, his heart was sour. His emotions were totally out of whack. He couldn't rescue himself from the perplexity. He tried, but he could not on his own figure out what the Lord was doing. And so he says, I felt oppressed. He was tired. He was tired. Twice this week already, I have gone through things. And I'm like, I am just, I'm tired, Lord. You know, I'm tired of trying to figure out what you're doing in these students. I did exactly the same thing that I did every year with the same I don't understand. God, I'm tired. Why do I feel this way? I don't understand you. And the Lord does not have for us to be tired. So his third option, first was to tell people. The second was to try to understand and think hard, but he had a small brain. The third is to bring his problem into God's sanctuary. Now, 17 says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. The sanctuary of God, the sanctuary represents the presence of God, particularly for the Old Testament people, because God, the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence dwelt in a place. It dwelt in the sanctuary of God. And so they went there to visit him, basically. And so he says, I brought my problems into the sanctuary. He was angry. And he was confused, but he knew that present—that in God's presence he could seek understanding, and so he went into that place. You know what? He didn't put—I know a lot of you guys—I bring my—he did not put a smile on his face and walk in through those doors and be like, praise Jesus, blah, 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 everything's good. No, he didn't do that. He came to the sanctuary in his distress. And I think—I mean, that teaches me a lot about how I walk into God's, <laughs> into God's presence With the truth of God, but with the distress right there. I'm walking into your presence, God, with this problem, with this crisis that I have. So many times we choose to do 15, gripe to others, or 16, or 16, uh, try to understand ourselves, but how many times... Do we actually, really, how many times... I'm speaking to myself here. How many times, Sandra, do you bring your problem and your crisis into the presence of God? Do you know that God is not scared of your problems? Do you know that God is not stumped by your questions? He's simply not. He made you. He made you. And he knows where you're grieved. And he knows where you're confused. And he knows what you want. And he invites you... Into his sanctuary with your problems, to come before him, to give you understanding. This was interesting for me this time. I never saw it this way, but it makes a lot of sense. As I was studying and reflecting and in the library with too many books, I stumbled across the idea in one of the commentaries and then began searching it that not only was a sanctuary of God. The presence of God, but the sanctuary was also a symbol for God's people. Because when people went to worship in the sanctuary to be with God, they went as a community. And so when the psalmist says, "I was it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God and there I understood their final destiny. He's not merely saying, and then I got along with God in my closet and I saw him. He is saying, I went into God's presence with God's people where the truth of God was going to be spoken to me. And you know what, brothers and sisters, we need, I need that. We need that. We need to be in God's presence with God's people where they will tell us God is good because sometimes you just got to know that God's doing something somewhere. Right? Sometimes you just got to know that God is doing something somewhere because it doesn't feel like He's doing it right here. And so I praise God and I bless Him and I thank Him for the opportunity to be exposed to different church cultures. And I want to share with you this morning that in the Latino church tradition, we have something called Acciones de Gracia. Acciones de Gracia. And it means Thanksgiving, basically where people just stand up in church. There's a a lot of time during church where people stand up and they praise God for what he's done. And they say, oh, God has been good to me and here's how he's been good to me. Oh, and I didn't think God was gonna show up and here's what happened. And then God showed up and I was blessed through this. And you know what happened? This is what's happening to me. And even though I don't have the answer yet, I know that God is good. Will you stand with me and say that God is good? Please praise him with me. And they'll share that together as a church. Because sometimes we just got to know that God is doing something somewhere. We're not only called to God's presence in a sanctuary, but also to his people. And I'm going to be honest with you. There were times when I was really tired of waiting for a man. I was really tired. You know, like, God, 20s come and gone, still single, you know? Um, and I was like, I'm following you, God. I love you. Please help me not to sin. And there are other times where I was just feisty. I was like, look, God, I am serving you. I am ministering for you. And I don't know what's going on because I've given, I've been, I've given up so much for you, God, and I am single, and I am old, and I am broke. <laughs> And I would come into God's presence And in the presence of his people And I would need to be told some truth that day I would need to know that God was doing something Somewhere And it was in the context of God's word God's presence and God's people That I was realigned Sometimes weekly, sometimes daily because it's hard and terrible things happen and sometimes we just don't understand and sometimes it seems like somebody out there is getting theirs but I'm not getting mine so this psalmist shares his crisis with us what are you facing that has you wondering should I stay faithful what are you facing this morning that has you wondering, what's up, God? Should I stay faithful? Because I'm tired, I'm trying to figure it out. And I ran out of people to gripe to. And I don't know what to do. Are you griping at God and to others? Are you thinking harder and harder and harder to try to understand? Or will you run into God's sanctuary? Even this morning, will you run into God's sanctuary in his presence and with his people and bring your problem to him and say, Why, God? Where are you? Because he is not scared of your problems and he is not scared of your questions. The psalmist brings us through his problem, the psalmist brings us through his crisis. And in verses 18 through 28 at the end, he brings us through his resolution. In verse 18, he says, Surely you place them on slippery ground. How you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed. Completely swept away by tears. As a dream when one one awakes. So you will arise, O Lord. You will despise them as fantasies. And when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In verse 18, he starts to figure out the resolution to his crisis that God is faithful to his promises because he says, surely, you place them on slippery ground. There is punishment for the wicked, he finds out. He was just senseless and needed a correct perspective. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been senseless and I'm not going to call you a brute, but I mean, he was senseless and he needed a new perspective. He doubted God would do justice to the wicked. He doubted that God would do justice to the wicked. And what encourages me about this psalm is that doubt is not a sin. Doubt is not a sin because doubt assumes that you have faith. You can't doubt something if you don't have some sense of faith in it. One of the commentators in the message of the psalm says, Doubt is to unbelief what temptation is to sin. A test, but not yet a surrender. Doubt is to unbelief what temptation is to sin. A test, but not yet a surrender. Doubt is a part of the Christian life. It's a part of what we go through as small-brained people. We know the truth of God. We don't experience the truth of God. Doubt creeps in. We doubt God is who he says he is. We doubt God's going to do what he says he's going to do. We doubt God's going to be faithful in his promises. We doubt that God is good. And in the midst of that doubt, we need... God's corrective perspective. And so he hears there is punishment for the wicked in verses 18 through 22. Then in verses 23 through 27, he goes on, Yet I am with you, you hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Nothing has changed in his situation. Nothing has changed in his situation. But he realizes in this passage that with God, he has a secure present, a secure future, and a secure eternity. And so the passage says, you guide me, verse 23, sorry, verse 23. It says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. How many of you know that God holds us by our right hand And that we have a secure present with God. That he is there in the midst of us, grasping us through what we're going through, holding us. And that in the present, whatever it is that you're going through, this psalmist says, we have the opportunity to be with God and be held by his right hand. Or that that we have, have an opportunity to be held by him. 24. We not only have a secure present, but we have a secure future because God will guide us with his counsel. God has promised to not only hold us today, but guide us into where we need to go. I know some of you don't feel that way, but that's that's what the psalmist says. So we're in God's presence with God's people. So right now we're here. The psalmist is saying, you have a secure present and you have a secure future and praise the Lord. And afterwards you will take me into glory. With the Lord, we not only have a secure present and a secure future, but a secure eternity. That whatever we go through, however we go through it, we know that God will take us into glory. So although the psalmist had doubt, and although the psalmist was distressed, God graciously, in his distress, promises to bring him into glory. How many of you know that that's good news? That in our distress, God will bring us into glory. Have you ever had a moment like that? I don't, know, I don't know you all personally, so I don't know. Have you ever had a moment like that where you think to yourself, oh my gosh, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the creator of the universe is with me in the present. He will guide me in my future and he will take me into glory. That when I'm distressed, the sustainer of life itself invites me into his presence and to the presence of his people to remind us that he is good and that he is there and that he is faithful. And at that moment, the psalmist breaks out in song. He just breaks out in the last part. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To those who are far from you, you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of your deeds. And so the psalmist at the end states where he started in the beginning. He states the same truth at the end that he started with in the beginning, which is that God is good. But as for me, it is better to be with God. As for me, I can say God is good. As for me, I can say God has been faithful, whether or not the circumstances have changed. The psalmist, going through the psalm, through his problem, his crisis, and his resolution, he's found out that God surely is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Have you guys ever experienced a time... Where you've known the truth about God and then something in life happens and you go through that truth. Where you know that God's a healer but for one time you experience his healing and you go, oh, God's a healer. Where you needed him to show up and provide for you and you knew that God was a provider but then you knew that you knew that you knew that God is the great provider. A time that you needed a shepherd and you knew Psalm 23 and you memorized Psalm 23, but then you went through something that felt like the valley of death and you knew that God was a good shepherd. All those times that we go through where the truth and our experience are not in conflict, but where the experiences that we have say to us, God is faithful, God is healer. God is sovereign. God is mighty. It's so good to experience those things, isn't it? So powerful to experience the truth of God's word lived out in your life. But brothers and sisters, that does not make it more true. That does not make the truth more true. The truth is that God is the provider. He is the healer he is the mighty he is sovereign and praise god that we've been able to experience things in our life that have shown us that but that does not make it more true we live in a very emotional culture i'm a very emotional person and i like my emotions but emotions aren't meant to dictate to us what is true and not to- true an experience is not meant to dictate to us what is true and not true they're there to guide us so that we figure out where we're at and so that we can go into God's presence and figure out where we ought to go. Because if I reacted every time I had an emotion, you guys would be very scared. <laughs> and my life would be a crazy roller coaster. We need to submit those things to God. At the end, the psalmist realizes that God's goodness is not defined by the success of the wicked and not denied by the hard things that he's experienced. In the end, the psalmist finds out that the goodness of God is God himself. That the ultimate misery in life is to be far from God. And the ultimate blessing in goodness is to be near to God. And so the psalmist concludes, God is good precisely for being God. As for me, it's good to be near God. I've made him my refuge and I will tell of your deeds. So to finish my story, by the time I hit 30, I think I was in a good place. I was like, okay, 20s, 30s, gone. You know, 20s, single. Um, But I think I was kind of in a good place. I think, you know, I was like semi-ignorant at least and maybe just not a fully a brute beast but a small beast, you know. Um, I think I was in a good place with God and I was starting to learn what it meant that God was my portion. At least, at least for a little while—not forever. I, I wasn't in that, that confident, just at least for a little while. And in case you didn't know, I, I did get married. Um, <clears throat> and I was thirty-two, and I got married. And I would like to say that I'm so excited that I got married. I love my husband. He's right here in the front. We've been married for two years, so we're still like in honeymoon stage. You know, it's great. I love my husband. So no disrespect, Carl, but my husband does not complete me. My husband does not complete and fulfill every need that I have as a human being. Because my heart was made to worship the Lord. My heart was made to be in the presence of God and his people and his sanctuary. And so the conclusion that the psalmist came to is the same conclusion that I'm trying to get to myself today because there are still times when I complain, right honey? Yeah, I complain about the Lord and the way things are going so obviously I'm still semi-ignorant but we need to be in a place where we can say God is my portion. Surely God is good to Israel, to his people. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. There have been many times that I've needed to be reminded that God is good. Some of you have reminded me. Many times of complaining before the Lord, and even today, and even this week, I've done a lot of complaining to the Lord. Why, God, do those who seem to live so carefree and so unjustly seem to get theirs? Why, oh God, do you let your people suffer like this when those who don't even follow you seem to be climbing the ladder. I still complain. I still have times. But I've learned from those who have more reason to complain than me. I've learned from people who've struggled with diseases, with family issues, with eating disorders, who want to be healed and want to be changed and are just waiting for the hope of that someday. And I've learned from people have something to hope in, not because they experience the truth, but because God says it's true. And so I sit at their feet and I go, hmm, if I was going through what you were going through, I don't think that I would have that same faith. But thank you for teaching me. And so this week, this summer I've been spending time uh, on the west side of Chicago uh, working with an urban program. And this week, um, in, in specifically this week, I've learned from young folks on the west side of Chicago who are just happy to make it to 18 alive. Who are just happy to make it to 18 alive. Who have a hope of graduating college and a hope of building a future. I've learned from them what it means to have faith that surely God is good. When my experience is in conflict with that truth And so if they were to rewrite this psalm uh, If they were to rewrite this psalm and present it to you I think it would sound something like this You guys ready? Okay Listen up, this would be their version of the psalm And if you know it, you can sing along
1: To all my people in the struggle You think God's forgotten about you Here's some pain medicine Let's go
0: Can you turn it up, Jeremy. You
1: in your car, you at the house, own your job, be encouraged, boom. Come on. Father.
0: I let yeah, let's I go. For you. Come on, I realize nothing else will me. Nothing. I'm so
1: you. Changed, no one can me away from you. Ooh, you've been so good to us, <laughs> you brought us from a mighty long way. That's why we love you. Oh. Come on.
0: Come <laughs> on. faithful to his promises. I don't know how you guys are like booging yourself. I would want to stand up. I'm so glad I found you. Yeah. Um, when you're in the midst of a struggle, like the psalmist was in, where he had a problem and he knew what his problem was, that his truth and his experience did not line up. They were in conflict. And so in his crisis, he went into the temple of the Lord, into the sanctuary of the Lord with God and his people. And he said, He understood. He understood. And in the presence of God's people, he understood and he was able to come to a right, he was able to get into his right mind, he was able to get into his right mind and understand that God is going to punish the wicked and God is going to bless those who are just because God is faithful to his promises. God is a faithful God who is good to his promises. And so this morning, I want to invite you guys to pray and to reflect and to think about this psalm. As the worship team comes up, to think about Psalm 73. That whatever your problem, whatever your crisis, God is calling you and inviting you into that resolution, into his sanctuary to find out what he has to say about that. I don't know what that is for you today. Now I know some of you may be thinking that singleness is not that hard of a thing to go through in life. Like there are many ail things that ail the world and I know there are. But that was my thing. That was what almost made me fall. Of all the things that would almost make me fall, you'd think it would be something bigger. But no. It was merely the fact that I said, "God, I gave up this relationship that was not of you to wait on you to bless me for something and I'm not feeling it and I'm not experiencing it." And so what is that thing for you this morning? What is the problem you're experiencing? What is the crisis you're having? And are you willing, new community, to bring that into the sanctuary of God, into God's presence and into the presence of his people? Because when truth and, comf- when truth and experience are in conflict, we should go into God's presence and with God's people to remind ourselves that God is good let me pray God we just praise you and we thank you God for this morning God we say who have we in heaven but you and what could we desire here on earth God but you And this morning, God, some of us need to know that you are doing something for somebody, somewhere. We need to know, oh God, that you are doing something, God, for somebody, somewhere, that our faith would be renewed so that we can walk in obedience regardless of how hard the issue is. And so we give you this time and worship God, and we say, reorient us, God. Realign us, God. Put us in our right mind this morning, God, to worship you this week, because you are a faithful, incredible, awesome, sovereign, mighty king. Who have we in heaven but you? And who are we, like Psalm 8 says, that you are mindful of us, that you care for us. And so we say, amen, indeed, truly, surely, God is good. And God is good all the time. Not because we experience it all the time, but because your word says it to be true. So God, give us bigger faith. In our small-brainedness, God, give us bigger faith to rely on you in your presence and the presence of your community, God. Speak to us, God, as we worship. Amen.
1: Anybody else need that reminder today that God is good? I'm going to say God is good you say all the time. I'm going to say all the time you say God is good. God is good. All the time? Sandra, how about like we mean it, huh? God is good? All the time? All the time? Let's pronounce this benediction over each other. Say this with me We are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon us rests the grace of God like flames of fire. We will love and serve the Lord in the strength of the Spirit. May the deep peace of Christ be with us, the strong arms of God sustain us, and the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen us in every way. Amen. Amen. Please join us for a barbecue downstairs and we'll see you next week.